Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Kia ora and welcome to another Aotearoa Rugby Pod. No my haere mai after a big win by the All Blacks against the USA. What to make of that game? Well, what can you take out of that game? The answers to those questions. Bryn Hall coming to us out of Christchurch and James Parsons in Auckland. And let's start with you, James. When a scoreline is that big, what can you take out of it considering the challenges ahead? I don't know, but I thought I was in trouble there because only my mum calls me James and I'm in trouble. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I, I think you can um, probably take out of it the opportunity for some players, and, and I suppose if we use Damian McKenzie, for example, he really pushed this case to to warrant, um, you know, potential selection in, in the bigger test matches. And we know how well Geordie's been playing and put himself in, the, in, in that position from his performance in the rugby championship. But I thought someone like Damo really staked his claim um, for, for more game time. And I know it's going to sound... Um, like I'm on the Damo bandwagon again, as, as he is one of my favourite players to watch. But I thought he had a massive game and I thought other guys potentially put themselves in that spotlight as well. Tupo Va'i, I thought he was big in that first um, off-the-ruck carry or giving the tips or the bombs out the back. I thought Ethan De Groot was great. So it was more around um, increasing your shares, I suppose, as such, if we use that as an analogy. Um, for opportunities against the bigger test nations. You want to see them go back to back, basically, Bryn. They want to use that and say, okay, I'm, I'm going against Wales too. Yeah, it is. And I think it's some really good points that Jip brought up around giving guys a lot of opportunities. But I think, you know, some of the things that we talked about previously where they probably um, weren't as clinical as where they would want to be was exiting out of their own zone. And look, I thought they exited really well. You look at that first try, um, they wanted to play with ball on hand. And, and yes, even though, the Americans made some poor decisions on the edge. You've still got to be able to put the put the ball away, and then from that, you know the support lines. I don't know how many times we saw in that um in that game just guys supporting, whether it be a nine, seven. You know, Angus Tarvel was flown around for support lines trying to get a meat pie, and so you know you're talking around the exit focus. I thought it was a really imp- a massive improvement um, compared to the last couple of test matches that they've had, and then um, we talked around the breakdown and the quick ball retention. Um, look, Finlay Christie was just in and out in that first forty minutes due to the um, to the collision and winning the breakdown battle. And look, I know. It's against the second-tier nation of um, the Americans who didn't have all their players, but you've still got to be able to do that and be brutal for them. You know, anytime you can bring up 100 points in a game, um, you know, it comes back to that breakdown and winning that breakdown and getting that lightning quick ball. And probably lastly, I thought as well, even though they did um, make a lot of opportunities just through, um, you know, some poor decisions from the Americans, there were a lot of times in that game, the skill set under pressure and the catch pass and squaring on the edge were, was world-class and 
Um, you've got to be able to finish those opportunities. So, you know, even the forwards, you know, Jacobson was on the edge a lot, Hoskins, um, and even some of the other loose forwards as well were on that edge side and been able to fix their def defender in hand and then been able to put the likes of Braden in or uh, Will Jordan um, and the likes of those boys on the edge. So, um, yeah, they'll take it as lo a lot of men had the opportunities, but, you know, we did talk about previously, there were a couple of things we wanted to see them improve on and, yeah, they did that in leaps and bounds and hopefully that's a stepping stone uh, coming into some bigger test matches through the back end of the season. The talk about the exit play, Brian, I find fascinating because the exit, a lot of the hand was ball, a lot of the time was ball in hand, wasn't it? And against the top Northern yep. Hemisphere opposition, you're likely to see more boot to ball. And we talk a lot about shaping defences and the shaping attacks through your kicking game, but there basically wasn't one, Chipper. So no. is that a different kind of preparing? That That's what I was interested to just jump on there is that I, I think they chance their arm with ball in hand a lot more than they would uh, if they were coming up against, uh, uh, I suppose, more um, familiar nation. They, 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 they certainly uh, were hungry to play. Um, I think Damien kicked and, and Richie kicked a couple of times in that first half, but most of it was uh, if, if they didn't carry off that first ruck, uh, they went out the back a lot of the time. And, and due to the nature of um, that defence, as Bryn alluded to, on the edge, uh, it was easily um, broken down. And I think we saw that in the first 30 seconds, didn't we? Uh, with, with a try um, to Luke Jacobson. And um, I, I feel, I don't think they would have been uh, that keen to play that amount of ball in hand stuff. Because we know they scored long range in the rugby championship and we know they read defences really well um, getting it uh, out of their half because they scored the most amount of tries out of their own half from, from 50 or more out. But they they really um, accentuated that, let's put it that way, uh, in, the, in the game against the US. And I think that was more to the keenness. And I think Foster, uh, Ian Foster um, touched on it. It was, it was just a little bit um, too focused on, on the uh, ball and hand play rather than, um, you know, playing the game plan as such around manipulating, like you said, with, with, with the boot just as much as with ball and hand. So is that a, a bad thing heading into the Wales game, Brent? I don't think so at all. I think if anything, um, you know, they were they were, about, they were able to stretch their legs and been able to um, to go out the exit structures because no, no no doubt about it, they'll be wanting to play a run or kick option. So um, when you can be able to execute that under a little bit of pressure um, in games, it does give you confidence moving forward. But I tend to agree with Chip that you know the defences of Wales, Scotland, and the Northern Hemisphere teams are going to be a lot better. But what it can do, watching that, um, you've got to be able to see it. You know, so if they see those structures of having that that attack set up then the defence has to be checked from seeing what they've seen and been able to preview the All Blacks. So if anything, it's going to open them up if the opportunities are going to go there, like we have seen in the Rugby Championship. Hopefully they can execute and um, won't put themselves under pressure. Uh, but I think you will see moving forward a bit more of a kicking game, whether that be off contestables off nine, um, Richie or Bodie putting those contestables up on the open side. Uh, but what it does do, um, it gets teams thinking around, OK, they have the ability to be able to run, but they have the ability to be able to kick, which I probably think they will do a little bit more um, in the next coming weeks. Brenna, you said Richie or Bodie. It's the million-dollar question that we uh, ask every second week. Um, Jipper, where do we go against Wales, um, considering Richie's kind of just getting back into the fold? Do you give him another crack? Well, I suppose probably a different coaching group when I was involved in the team, but I don't think you lose your spot um, from, you know, injury or, you know, Richie was out of the team. 
um, you know, due to having a baby. So potentially he, he might come back into the 10 um, and, and, and Bodie slips back to the bench. But uh, I always find this one so hard because they're both playing so well. And, and it's, it's, it's probably the style of play because they are different players. The style of play and the game plan will be the big deciding factor on who starts at 10. And we know, uh, I suppose, Bodie's that flat and fast and and will want to bring himself into the game that creates opportunities for others in and around him and then richie can sort of go between both styles um which is probably his strength is he can go to that kicking game and running game because he's got such hot feet so um i i tend to think that he won't be punished for having to stay at home um for the birth of his child so he, he might get the 10 jersey back so, Bryn, do you think that he will be number one, I suppose, by the end of the tour? Is, is that what we're looking at? It's it's just so tough to, to be able to comment on because you've just got two guys that are, like Gyps, like Gyps said, you've got two guys that have played well, and there's not that much between them. So it's pretty much more so around, okay, um, what the coaches are looking for and, and the game plan of, of who's going to be able to best execute that under pressure. And look, you know, I like, I really enjoyed Richie on the weekend, you know, his chip and chase and being able to put away well for his, even for his own try, you know, seeing little things like that and, and taking the ball to the line and even beating that hard defense like we've seen a lot in the um, in the Super Rugby. And, you know, it's going to just take time for him to be able to, to come back in. But, you know, if you look at around coming back, not playing a lot of rugby, um, being able to find fine tune a few things and, you know, he'll be happy with that performance. And I thought his goal kicking was was outstanding as well. So uh, whether if he comes back, does he kick in Geordie Barrett? If he comes back into the fold, who's going to be the goal kicker? So that's probably one strength that Richie does have, have at the moment and, and his advantage. But look, I just don't think you can go wrong with any which way you do go. And so um, it's just going to be important for whoever the guy that uh, misses out, he's got a role to do on the bench because, yeah, look, you've got two quality 10s. I don't know how many times in this podcast we've talked about which way it's going to go. It's a flip of the coin. But we're fortunate enough that we've just got two great 10s. And thank God I'm not a coach to be, to be able to make this decision. <laughs> Bryn, just just interested from a, a back's point of view, um, Damo played well, as I alluded to earlier. His ability to play 10, Bodie and Richie back, how do you see that bench make, you know, like does he potentially miss out if Geordie starts at 15? Well, that's... I know it's it's tough because you know yeah. like yeah Damo can cover can cover ten as well mate and you know you look if you look at um you know Quintapaya as a result as well who played really really well you know he's got to be a possibility if he's not going to start at twelve being on that number twenty three like he was against the South Africans so it's just it's a, it's a tough decision with that bench role because you've got guys that can play ten and fifteen and Damo had a, an absolute blinder on the weekend so but I think they would probably my my preference probably what they would do is I'd probably go Bodie and Damo. On the bench, but if you have Rico on the wing, he's got that ability to be able to cover centre if they do go that way. But then it's tough on Quintapai, who has only put put up his hand uh, coming off the bench in big moments, having that big steal, and he's played well against um, Tonga in his debut, and then he's had an outstanding game on the weekend. So he's doing everything that he can to be able to put himself in the best positions, being that twenty three role. Some tough conversations this week, I think, in terms of twenty Quinn Tupaya has really looked like he's a test match player, hasn't he, and the chances that he's got, Jibber? Massive. Yep. Like, I think we alluded, remember that game against the Rebels and we sort of touched on him as, as a big factor back then and, and probably didn't foresee his all-black selection. But he just looks natural at each level. He goes, like, he's he's um, sort of bought his time for Waikato uh, in the NPC, and then he's 
waited as, as for his opportunity than the, the Chiefs here. And then, you know, I think that's prepared him really well for this international game. He's he's resilient. He hasn't. He's still a young man, but for the amount of games he's played, I suppose at MPC level and Super, he or to be fair, not maybe games at Super because he's had to buy his time for for minutes. But he he hasn't just been thrown in there, and, and that resilience and that determination, I suppose, that he's shown in previous years just makes him look so comfortable um, at that level. And 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 I know we'll get to this um, player soon enough, but I just remember for my test debut, you know, it didn't matter the opposition. Um, you know, you've, you've got a lot of excitement, a lot of energy, a lot of, um, I suppose, expectation when you wear that all-back jersey. But Josh Lord just looked so comfortable and just rolled out there, you know, just relaxed. <laughs> and I was just like, man, he, he, he has got a great um, mentality and you can see why he's there at such a young age. Was it easy to take much out of that for Josh Lord? I mean, it was a, by the time he got on, it was a bit of a canter, wasn't it? So in your test debut, it's a nice time to maybe get a feel for it, Brent? You go, Joe. You go, Joe. No, I, I, I think that's what I took out of it for, for Josh Lord is, is his ease of slipping into the all-black jersey. And, and he might have been feeling other things internally, but visually he looks so comfortable, so relaxed and at home in that jersey and that is not an easy thing in my opinion to portray and and i know i've got the inside word from from guys like jared hoyata um his coach down in taranaki he is he's got a big future in in, in this all blacks team mm. you can't teach that clear head can you you know nah, that's that's that, the kind of thing that works at test footy but i think i think yeah, i think a, a, probably a, a more probably a more positive thing for josh as well you know he, don't want to take this away from his age, but being so young, he probably doesn't have the expectation of someone, you know, that has obviously has strived to, oh, don't get me wrong, he's been a kid, um, he's obviously, obviously always wanted to be an orbiter, but when you get it coming to you that young, and yes, you're right, he just came in really seamlessly, really, but, um, you know, it probably just wasn't that level of, like, anxiousness of, like, it coming to, it just, it's, it's come to him early, very fortunate, because, like, he, he deserves it and they see potential in him, but probably being at a younger age and no disrespect to the opposition, but you know, probably was a bit of a transition and probably a great way for to, for him to bring up his debut given the circumstances. You know, it might be a little bit different. Don't know what would happen if it was a Wales or a France, but you know, I think it was probably the, if you're talking around giving guys opportunities at the right time. And I, you've got to give credit to the All Blacks coaching staff understanding that this is probably actually a good time to bring him on the t bring him on tour. You know, they obviously see him as a as a project around bringing him on tour to immerse himself in the All Black environment, but to give him that taste against an American team early on in the tour. I think it was it was a masterstroke from the All Black environment, and you know, even you look at the leaders as well, probably leading him throughout the week of what an All Black Test week looked like. But yeah, mate, he's um, got a big a big future, and I'm really looking forward to see um, not only him, but maybe hopefully at the back end of this um, um, autumn series, but um, you know, for next year for the Chiefs moving forward. I, I think that's a key point there, Bryn. Is is what you say is the opposition and the moment mm. um, enabled him. To, to probably play that way. But I think because he turned up in that way and he looked that comfortable, he could potentially get a start against Italy. You know, we could mm. we could see a, a Taranaki locking duo of Tupo Vai and, and Josh Lord, I believe, um, in that Italian test match due to the, the way he expressed himself <laughs> on the weekend. Yeah. And then maybe Sam Kane 
taking the captaincy reins back in that game as well could be a good option. Yeah, potentially. Or, or um, don't be surprised if you see that this week as well. I, I thought he got some good minutes under his belt. And, and I'm just a firm believer is when you're that experience, you've played that much mm. footy, you don't need much of a run-up. Uh, so so yeah. I, th- I think we could potentially see him in the seven this weekend. Mm. What about the USA, Bryn? What do they take out of that? You know, an understrength side gets absolutely hammered. A couple of high points, but what do they take out of that? Does it help USA rugby? Oh, I think if you're the, if you'd ask the players, like you probably take 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 the take the outcome of, of the match and how much points are scored against them. Probably the, the opportunity that we talked about uh, the last week, the opportunity of playing the All Blacks at home is you know they'll take this for the rest of their life and when they when they retire or they're done with their career. They'll be able to talk to their kids and even moving forward that they played against the All Blacks. So I think having the opportunity to play the All Blacks in an environment, being at home, you know, not many Americans um, have been able to do that. And to be honest, they scored two tries as well, which has never been done against um, you know against the All Blacks. So for me, you take away the positives and probably the biggest thing that they, they need moving forward is to have their best players that they can play. You know, so no no disrespect to the MLR. You know, they've got a great system that they're gonna they want to bring up in USA rugby and you know can it, hopefully it can continue to keep growing and be better, but they need their top their top line players, especially when you're playing against world class teams like that, because um, you know, unfortunately you have results like you do on the weekend where where it's a, um, it tends to be a big score line. So, you know, hopefully the powers that be moving forward, they can get their players to come back in and then at least they can have um, the players that they need to be in there that they can start expressing themselves of what their of what their rugby is like and what they want to show to the world, especially on a stage like that, because you think about a lot of other countries that have been watching that game. And so you want your best players out there to be able to give a product of what they're truly um, trying to do and trying to rebuild and trying to build their rugby program moving forward against um, the, the, the top tier nations. The nation's championship, Jipper, would that be the thing that could help really build uh, the USA in the long run as opposed to kind of one-off text matches against the All Blacks? Oh, potentially. I know we've spoken about this previously. Um, but uh, I think we all know um, they've got that. They've got the athletic prowess, I suppose, uh, when we look at the NBA, NFL. If, if their nation turns their head towards rugby, they could be a serious threat. Uh, because, you know, like we know that they've just got copious amounts of um, sporting talent. Uh, so I, I think one-off test matches like this brings, um, I suppose, a, a, an eye to rugby in, in their nation. And, and I, I would say not so much the nation's cup would be a big factor in um, their success, but a, a change in perception of rugby as a, as a genuine um, road to sporting success. And if they do change that mindset um, and, and you get some good coaching um, you know, I suppose programs through and around that MLR and up to the the international side, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't be surprising to see them um, that successful in the future. And I think every other nation understands how um, big that could be for rugby their their market and and making it relevant and interesting to to their people. Um, would be huge for the game of rugby, but also huge for the USA national team in terms of uh, the willingness and desire to play for that team. That's why. That's I why people... I hope the MLR. So that, that's why. Sorry, Ross. That's why I hope the MLR moving forward can actually stay because I know previously before they had the competition, they've thank God, you know they've been able to rejuvenate and bring that program back. 
But if you're thinking of it going back, that it was there for a while. And they actually had, you know, you look at the New Zealand players that used to go over there, and you the Australia, you had the likes of Matt Ghetto, Ashley Cooper, having those guys coming back to those kind of competitions. So, you know, hopefully there's a, there's a long-term plan for that for that league because I think you're right, Chip, you know, there's a lot of potential out there, but I think it just needs to be, it need, the competition needs to stay for a long period of time, you know, five to ten years so they can build the competition up. And you can have guys coming from New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, you know, they might be at the back end of their careers, but, you know, the kind of eyes that they bring to the to the to the, to the TV and the exposure of rugby, I think it can only make them better moving forward. Yes, they're going to go overseas. There's money overseas, and a lot of their players are playing over overseas at the moment. But you know, if they can keep continuing to grow that competition, you know, even now it's the first what one one first year it's been around, second year, and you've got high caliber players that have played international rugby and want to be want to be playing in that competition. The people often talk about how you can't take over America, and I don't think that's what anyone wants to do. But if you can get a niche in there, right? If you can get a couple of percent of the the available athletes who, you know, we see them in, let's say, the Australian NBL competition, where not good enough for the NBA, but damn, they can play basketball. You know, if we can get a couple of those into rugby, it won't take much to make USA at a strength of numbers. Because let's face it, we've only got a hundred odd thousand plus players in New Zealand. You know, in a country with 130-odd million or whatever they have over there, Jipper, it wouldn't take much, just a small bit of that. No, and, and that's what I meant. You know, we acknowledge the athletic prowess and the ability of, um, I suppose, their nation in terms of that sporting makeup. But it will take um, some, I suppose, high-quality coaches to go over there and get them to understand the nuances of rugby. Because that's a that's a big thing, you know. You, the, the athletic prowess is one, but if you don't understand the game and the nuances and the little tactical shifts that you need to make week to week, uh, little adjustments like that to run a team, you know, we're talking about Bowden Barrett and Richie Moanga, you know, and and they're so um, great and hard to differentiate. A lot of that, yes, they're athletically gifted. But a lot of that is also their, their tactical nature and their ability to read defences, manipulate defences to be able to execute that. And, and that will be the key part is the coaching uh, pathways and, and getting good coaches there, like the players Bryn alluded to of Ashley Cooper, Gitto, Ma'as going back there. Um, it's just as important for the coaching to grow and understand how to tactically change a team. Mm. Speaking of coaches moving over to other nations, Wayne Peebeck, obviously, we talked a little bit about him last week, pretty excited. This game against Wales this week for the All Blacks, not just Wayne Peebeck, we've got uh, likely to see maybe Willis Holoholo, um, chance to see um, maybe Johnny McNichol. Um, but I think probably the most interesting point of the Wales selections could be, will we see Gareth Anscombe or Reese Priestland 10? Um, do you think we might see Anscombe this weekend, Brent? Oh, I think. Oh, look, he's 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 played well enough to be able to to be in there. But I think you obviously got Reese Priestley, who's an experienced guy who's played a lot of Test matches for for them. But you know, it'll be a great story for for Gareth and and knowing Wayne. I don't know, not probably don't know him as well as Jip, but you know, kind of games that mean a lot to people. Wayne's really good at giving people those opportunities. So if you look at Gareth, yes, he's been away for a long time, but you know, the added motivation of to play against your home country. Um, you know, Wayne would you know I'd probably be thinking he'd be thinking around giving Gareth an opportunity to be able to, to be able to play. But um, yeah, look, I think, you know, Wayne, like we said, he's going to, he's going to throw the kitchen sink in the All Blacks. He's not going to use any excuses around, you know, not having some of his players. He'll, he'll see it as an opportunity and he'll galvanize the group 
um, for that week around what that's going to look like for them. But, you know, it'll be great to see Gareth Enskin because he's gone through so much in a, in a tough couple of years for him. You know, he was probably, you know, before his injury, you know, was the starting 10 for four Wales and was really in some hot form and been able to, you know, move from that kind of, um, you know, club rugby to then put on the international stage. And he's probably going in, going into that direction. But, you know, those few injuries have, have dampened him and, um, you know, him being able to come back and if he does get the opportunity, or well, he might even get the opportunity moving forward, not just the All Blacks, but it'll be great for him and his career to be able to show um, a little bit of resilience and um, giving him some giving him some game time considering what, what he's been through. I think I think Reese Priestland will potentially start and, and it's about staying in touch for that first 40. And then a guy like Anscombe off the bench against tiring bodies could be a real threat and a game changer for Wales. So I, I believe that could be potentially the makeup because um, the, the key is to start the game, you know, set the tone physically, but also play in the right parts of the field. And, and Gareth has a kicking game, don't get me wrong, but he hasn't played a lot of rugby. So I think a Preston start and then Gareth coming with his injection and his ability to, I suppose, play that running football. And, and he's got that turn of gas that can, punish defenders and he also has the ability to sit a little bit deeper and manipulate defenses and put guys away um, so I think him off the bench will be a better fit if, if they you know target this game of staying in touch to then win it late Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds Recently I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hmm. And staying in touch with what they need to do. I mean, they do have Alan Wynne-Jones there. They do have probably Josh Adams, um, Ken Owens. They do have some quality players there, Jip. You know, yeah. staying in touch, is, is that all they're capable of in the first half? Well, what I'm saying is I think to beat the All Blacks at the moment, they're in, they're in a rich vein of form. And as we saw with the South African Test versus maybe the Argentinian Test or the Aussie Test early in the year, if they get away, it's hard to pull it back. So it, it, that's not. I wasn't saying that in terms of being disrespectful, but if you if you want to beat this current All Black team in the form they're in, staying in touch is a massive step in the right direction to be able to put yourself in a position to win it late, like we saw with the Springboks. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think that's. I think that's. You know, you look at the the South Africans now. They played Ross. You know, if you're looking around a DNA of how you might want to try beat the All Blacks. You obviously when we talk around breakdown and physicality and being able to slow down the All Blacks ball, that's a given and no doubt they'll be talking around that. But you know, like we've talked about in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, the kicking game is a really massive um, positive that they have. You know, the contestable kicks, their kicks off 10, being able to play that game management around playing because Wayne, no, no doubt Wayne will want to run the ball. 
who want to be able to put the um, bit of pressure on the All Blacks around their, their attacking ability. But, you know, winning that half-line battle and then winning that kicking game and putting up contestables to put the All Blacks under pressure because, you know, the All Blacks in the back end of that second test match got it a lot better. But, you know, it's a real good weapon to be able to um, put them under pressure, slow down the game, put the contestables off 9 and 10, um, come through them, back your defensive line because it's so hard. If you get those contestable kicks right on the edge, you know, then the All Blacks then have to attack from that edge against a 14, 13-man wall. And then do the All Blacks want to play a little bit too much, then you can be able to build pressure, physically put pressure on them. You might get a steal here and there. And then like the South Africans did, they were able to accumulate um, points from the, the Buddha Pollard. So I think they need to make it a real dogfight, a real dogfight around similar to how the South Africans were able to slow it down, go back to their set piece, but then been able to take the points through to their, um, their kicking game and been able to put that under pressure. But at the same time, when they do have the attacking ability, They've got to be able to execute under pressure and be real clinical when they do get the opportunities against the All Blacks on the weekend. I, I do think the All Blacks need to stay aware because I'll bring you back mm. to when um, Wales played England and I think Wayne was new into the role. The quick taps, a couple of times early, they they scored off it. Whereas you might have thought, you know, um, a Welsh side would go for three or kick to the corner. Their, their ability to play fast is there. And I think the balance between that will be key to their success, but also key for the All Blacks to be aware of because they, if, if, you, if you're if you slow in the reaction and, and expect, uh, you know, the, the usual style, I, I think they could catch you off guard in, in that sense. Um, you know, against against England, I think it was a quick tap and then a cross-field kick for a try. You know, they, they're not afraid of, um, you know, chancing their arm under Wayne. But I think now he's been in there a little bit longer, as we saw with his journey with Scarlets. He actually is really good at coaching players to get back what they see, but also trust that 80 minutes is the key. It's not about winning the game in the first 20 or, or winning the game on your own in the first 10 or late in the half. It's about working for the whole 80 minutes to create the opportunities for you to win the game. Bryn, your mate Brad Moore took over at Scarlet's, if only for a brief period of time. Um, will he have some in-house knowledge, I suppose, one of Wayne Pivak and, and the structures that were in place that Wayne ran at Scarlet's and also of the players that could help the All Blacks this week? Yeah, I think so. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a strength of Brad, the fact that he's been at Scarlet's and has a, has a pretty good understanding around that system and, and, and Wayne kind of Welsh uh, rugby development how, and how they want to play and, and improve to get better. So... Yeah, even though he was there for a short time, you know, no doubt he's a he's a student of the game, and he would have wanted to be able to um, nitpick and be able to get some um, some knowledge around how they do things, and even the players coming back into the Scarlets environment and talking around how they want to play and how they want to evolve. And so having that kind of stuff is going to be invaluable moving forward. But in saying that, the All Blacks are pretty astute rugby players and they have a good understanding around their game plan. So you know they'll be able to preview, review, and they'll probably would have already had a plan before the, uh, the American game of what this week was going to look like and how they were going to play against Wales. So, yeah, I think that he did. He wasn't Scarlet's and, um, you know, probably would have brought that into meetings around this is what they might be thinking. Um, this might be the direction that they might be going forward. But, um, yeah, I think they would have just been all collectively pretty well prepared around what's coming. But, um, you know, him being at Scarlet's was a bit of a bonus and would probably would have been able to give a, a little bit of an insight around sort of thinking and, and players and what they're thinking around the Welsh environment, how they play. But, um, yeah. The collectively, I think the coach groups would be all over it moving forward. With the shoe on the other foot, what about what the All Blacks are bringing in here, um, Jipper? Because you look at the taste they got to come, you've got Ireland and you've got France, who probably in recent years would be considered the two probably tougher test matches maybe. Um, but we've seen Wales come up under Wayne Pivak, even if they've got a weaker squad. 
is this a is this a first choice team the All Blacks send out, or is it a a hybrid? No, hundred percent first choice. Um, I, I think it'll be the top twenty-three uh, that gets selected this weekend, and um, it'll be I believe because of the depth of the squad, it'll be a twenty-three that's picked on the game plan that they want to take into this game that can best manipulate that Welsh defence to to score points because we know. As I mentioned earlier, they like to score from deep. They can score in the 22. They have the ability to pull you apart from everywhere. Um, and, and putting a 23 together that has that strength to it, um, but also the nails, that tactical nails to get the balance of attack right. It's not. A, a, I don't think we're going to see the chancing of their arm that we saw against the USA a, against that Welsh defence. Mm. So what does that team look like, Bryn? You know, coming off the rugby championship, what do you expect? Well, yeah, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be a pretty full stream team, but there are obviously some positions that that are that are tough to call. You know, I thought Tupo Vai on the weekend was was outstanding. So you know, whether he gets another opportunity, then um, do you bring back in Sam Kane at the starting starting role? With, I thought you know Dalton Papali'i was was great on the weekend as well. But you know, I think probably the the two positions that um, it's going to be interesting to see is, is Richie and, and, and Bodie, see which direction they go in that. And then I think seven, between Seven and Will for that 14 row, I think Rico's going to come in at 11. But, you know, Will Jordan, who was outstanding on the weekend, and man, the amount of work he, he does off the ball, I don't know, Jip or Ross, if you have the, if you guys see that, his his ability off the ball, we talk around Callaway and his, what he does for the for the Wallabies. It's just amazing to see how much work off the ball Will does. Um, he pops around Rovers. He's always there for chip and chase. If you see that one, um, when Richie did that, did that chip and chase, you know, Will was calling that in behind and communicating that to to Will. So um, it's important that, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see which direction they do go because, you know, Sebu, when he's given his opportunities, has played well. But, you know, I think with Will, um, what he can do on attack and his ability off the ball, I think um, you know, he's probably deserving of, the, of that 14 row. I don't know what you think around that, Jip. Oh, look, I, I think he was great. And you, and you do, I suppose, notice when he's on the wing because he wants to find himself injected yeah. into the play you know he's hung he loves the game of rugby he wants to be involved um and, and i think we saw again with the wallabies their biggest strength is their blindside winger um on the weekend you know like they just they have the ability to pop up even when hodge went down early that blindside winger role is so key to their attack and creating that extra number to manipulate defense and will is no different in his um energy and and need to be involved in the play. Um, so, it, look, I think he'll be in the discussion, no doubt. Uh, but I, I think the other players that are in the same discussion warrant the same thought. And I, and I think where they may go is probably the best uh, back three under the high ball. So best under the high ball, uh, is that Geordie Barrett, Will Jordan and George Bridge? Is that the best team under the high ball? I think Rico has to be in there. Rico. So Rico if, on the left wing. If he's not a centre, he, you've got to find a place for him in that starting 15. Yeah. So I think he'll be on the left wing, Anton at 13, and then Davey back into 12. Yeah, yeah. No room for Quintupaya, despite the game line that he can get? Don't well, think so. Well, that's the thing, though. Yeah, well, that's, yeah. If we talk around whether it be Bodie or Richie on the bench, and then you've probably got Damo, who's warranted being in that number 23 right off he's not selected at fullback um it's tough on quinn because look i think what he does bring um on for, off the bench you're talking around his carries on the weekend you know he was what he was one of the top all blacks um carriers 
and you know had 12 carries and had you know had had nine defenders beaten you know and i know it was against america but that's his positive and what he can bring off the bench. If you look around uh, when they played the South Africans, you know, Davey, even though he was running to brick walls just due to the fact of the defensive line-out pressure um, the South Africans gave us, um, that ability that Quinn has, a big strength of his is being able to get through contact and get over the advantage line. And that's what he does bring if he was given that opportunity to come off the bench at number 23. But yeah, I just think the fact that, you know, Bodie's there, Richie's there, and then you've got Damo who's there as well. And the fact that Rico, if he has selected 11, can cover that midfield role and probably leaves Quinn um, you know, missing out just due to the fact that um, they've got other people that can play in other positions in the starting team. Well, that that's the key, isn't it, Bryn? Is Rico? Yeah. Because he can move to thirteen. Anton can play twelve. There's mm. no need to carry a midfielder. So it's not mm. about performance. It's not about skill set. It just doesn't work for the twenty-three makeup. Would be a selector, eh? Especially when you've got such quality with such talent in multiple positions, it almost makes it harder, Brent. Yeah, but that's like um, we've talked about it a lot the whole the whole year around guys, um, you know, playing really, really well, but just due to the fact of how much depth there is, um, other guys haven't been able to play. But what they have done, and when they have returned and had the opportunity, they just keep staking their claim to be able to be selected and putting their hand up, saying, "Look, hey, I'm playing well. Select me." So. Um, what that does do, it gives you it gives you confidence that, you know, if you do get given the opportunity, you do play well. And, and don't get me wrong, you're a competitor and you're probably warranted of wanting to keep playing. But it just comes back to the fact that in this All Blacks team, um, there's so much depth and so much um, great players that you've almost just got to play well when you have the opportunity. If you're not selected, bite down the bullet, um, continue to keep training well, keep being able to put your hand up. And then when you are given your opportunity, you just got to keep consistently keep playing well and keep putting your hand up. We talked earlier about the USA and the way that they build themselves. If there's a blueprint for building a rugby nation right now, it is Japan. You know, over the course of 20-odd years, they've just slowly got better and better and better, now to the point where they're constantly pushing Tier 1 nations. We saw it on the weekend again against Australia. They were right in the fight, Jipper. This team is only going to get better and better and better as well because their competition's getting better. The Japanese are here to stay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we know, you know, Bryn's a big fan of getting a Japanese contract, so he'll he'll be able to elaborate on this a little bit better than, than myself. Um, but I think the point I made about um, the USA and their ability for success in the future, it's the coaching. At, at the top league, their ability um, to understand the game tactically, and then we know how good the coaches are at the international level and, and Jamie Joseph and Tony Brown, that is the key to their success and, and giving that deeper understanding and that depth of the tactical nows needed to win big test matches. And they need to be developing, I suppose, coaches underneath them, don't they, for time to come, because you can't just have foreign coaches completely dominating a league. They need, they need the Japanese coaches to eventually come through, Brent. Yeah, they do. And I think, no doubt, you know, Jamie Joseph, you know, Tony Brown and even Scotty Hansen are there. They'll be, you know, they'll be going back to those kind of clubs and being able to try and, um, you know, give them give them tips and ideas around what that looks like. Because I think even though you do have foreigners and you look at the three New Zealand coaches that are over there, it's been able to grow and get the, get the, get their knowledge and understand what what they're, what they're teaching and what, what, what they're seeing and being able to give back to those kind of, um, to those coaches. Because I think you are right. You do want to bring the Japanese coaches up and being able to upskill them and continue to keep growing them because then, it's only going to help that Japan top league and being able to bring more players in and 
and then bring it a higher level. But you know, I think it is a it's a positive to have you know such a world class coaching staff. And you look at Jamie Joseph, who you know was probably in the reckoning for that All Black job when Ian Foster and, and Razor were going for it, but he decided to pull out and go to to the Japan route. But you know, it's been able to you know gain knowledge from from those guys and been able to you look at the players and their growth. You know, the last time they played um, Australia in, in 2017 it was you know, 66 23, or it was it was a massive. Massive scoreline, but you look on the weekend, you know, it was the 74th minute on the 27-23, and they probably had the momentum in there of those last couple of last couple of minutes, but for the fact that, you know, Valentini has a massive steal in that 77th minute, and then there's a line-out drive um, going back to their set piece, which, you know, I thought the Australians did really well in, the, in that back end of that game to win that game. But, you know, I think um, the ability that they've grown in, in those big test matches, they're only going to get better if they can be able to compete for long periods of time, especially, I even think, in, in that game as well. There were plenty of times in that, there were two times in separate occasions in that game where, you know, Australia usually, probably the last four test matches have actually just pulled away. But I think just they weren't as clinical as they were. We'll probably go a little bit more detail into that. But the fight that the, the Japanese men showed and been able to get themselves in a position to, you know, in the last two, three minutes to try and win that game, um, it just shows uh, shows where, where they're coming and where they've come from uh, compared to the last time they played the Australians um, four or five years ago. I, I think the key to that is their defence. So we all say defence wins championships, and it's an old adage that we all um, understand is the key to success. But if you watch how many times the Wallabies had to switch back to the short side because they didn't get the manipulation and defence off that first carry off the right, uh, off the wide right, and they always had to keep going. But the the defence of uh, the Japanese was was up to task. They they were really effective on that switch back on the short side. And if you look at it, apart from Tom Wright's try early uh, um, off a misread on Quaid and, and Quaid punished them dearly, it was a rolling maul, uh, a front line-out move that broke that defence. But their phase play defence, the Japanese I'm talking about, was really, really effective. And, and yet they, they got some bends, the Wallabies, but not only when they got broken is the Japanese urgency to get back and that scramble D was effective as well. Jim, if you look around the Japanese style and, you know, they're so good at the chop tackle, you know, a, a lot of other teams, you know, you look at the South Africans or the Northern Hemisphere teams, yes, they do chop, but they've got the ability to be able to, to go high stack and kind of slow down, slow down teams ball. But man, the efficiency of how they're chopped, they're one tackler, you know, they had nine turnovers on the weekend, being able to, you know, whether that be getting a guy on the ball, but then that had the ability for the Australians to clean from the side and would get a penalty through that way. They're, their efficiency in, in their defense and the kind of discipline, I guess, to be able to keep to continually keep doing that again and again and again. You know, the Australians, a lot of times, even early on, you look at Quade Cooper's try, actually had, you know, a, a high phase count and actually asked a lot of questions of the Japanese. But, you know, I was really, really, really impressed. And even Scott Hansen in the, in the, in the halftime speech said, yeah, we want to be physical. I'm really pleased with how our physicality is. I'm, I'm pleased with, like, how our, how our defense is holding up. So... Or then they just said moving forward on their attacking side was being able to um, ask more questions and keep continuing to play with the ball at, at a high tempo, which the Japanese team they tend to do. But yeah, look, I think it's a it's a great stepping stone, Jip, compared to if you think around how well the Australians have been the last four weeks and probably missed Samu Karevi and Korobedi, which will probably go more in depth um, in a little bit a little bit of time soon. Yeah, ma- massively missed those those guys, but. I, I just want to highlight, I think, you know, Andrew Calloway has probably been their find of the season. But Rob Valentini, his form at super level, we spoke about it earlier in the year, he was massive. And that, that game, that's the best game I've seen him play. 
at test match level. And, and he just seems to be getting better. And, but he was he was a force against the All Blacks. He was a force for them again in the rugby championship. And then big minutes, you know, between himself and Hooper. And I thought Leota actually played really well as well. But yeah. Valentine thing is the, is a big find in terms of his form and, and the role he's filling for this, uh, I suppose, newly defined Wallabies team in, in, in what they're doing at set piece in that breakdown space and in the carry. Yeah. He's a big part of that. Chip, it's, it's fair to say it's very similar to Akira. You think around those back-to-back efforts. It's those back-to-back efforts, again, getting up and being able to be consistently in the game. And look, you know, that Melbourne Rebels, you know, you talk around his his, his his improvements, but I think even at test level, he's almost gone to another level around always being in the game. You look at the 77th minute, you know, that's a big steal that pretty much won them that test match. But, you know, you look at all the hard work that he's been able to do, whether it be carrying, contact meters, clean outs. He just seems that he's taken his game to another level to be able to be consistently in the game and winning little moments and not going in and out of games. He's consistently doing that for the whole game, which I've found I found really, really impressive and probably has given, you know, the likes of Leota, you know, on the edge, even with his carries, he can be more so dominant and on and wanting to carry on the edge and being able to be a little be a little bit, bit more looser than uh, than Hooper and, and Valentini. And I think the selection of Leota is is key in another area that the Wallabies were better at, and I think Isaac Rodder plays a big role in this, is that line-out forward six, is because their defensive mm. setup and their ability to steal off the source really put the Japanese set-piece under pressure. And, yeah. you know, people forget how key that is to them winning that game, and it was really tied up until the end. And taking those opportunities away when the, when the Japanese kick to the corner um, from a penalty and go to the line out and, and Rodder gets up or, or Leota gets up. It's it's a it's just those little things add up so much and, and it's just a sign for me, I suppose, of where this Wallabies pack's got to and, and they're all about the small detail and the little um, I suppose unnoticed efforts is where they're so good at at the moment. Mm-hmm. What about at the back? You mentioned Hodges' injury before. Uh, obviously, Banks is out. Uh, is it an SOS to Kirtley Beal? Where do they go at fullback? I, I think it provides an opportunity for a Kirtley Beal to come into the squad. But I, I still would like to see a, a, a Cooper O'Connor make up and, and potentially see what damage they could cause having that, uh, I suppose, that first receiver prowess both sides of a midfield ruck. Mm. Yep. Cooper looked really good with his bridge passing. Like he, It's one of those kind of tactics, isn't it, where it's either on or it's <laughs> it's a real problem. But the whip that they got, got with those bridge passes, Bryn, really gave them some attack and some success out wide and left some tries. Yeah, look, you die by your sword sometimes, and look, you're not always going to get it right. And probably... The last time we saw that was against the All Blacks, and, and that's fine because the space is there. And look, I'll do the review, and you know, do we want to go through the hands, or do we want to get a little bit more manipulation in their phase play attack that they usually have? Um, we talked about how good it was and how much of an improvement it is. So they'll continue to look around that in the solution. Uh, but yeah, I think just coming back to Jip's point, yeah, I, I I'd really want to see that because I what I liked as well is I, I like Jordan Pataya, man, on their on that wing. You know, the kind of if you talk around Corabetti and what he brings and how, like, in, in contact and being able to get through get through the line and always seems to be able to beat that first defender. I think it's really important for this series to be able to let Jordan Pataia do that because 
They have lost that a little bit with Cora Betty not being there. And there's a few injuries now to Hodge um, and Banks as well. So I think it's a great opportunity. Jip talks around opportunity. It's a great opportunity for Pattaya moving forward because I think what he, he can give them around getting them over the advantage line and then what's that going to what's that's going to do on the edge is be able to get the team going over the advantage line and then you can get their face play shape you know and get the likes of McDermott White running in and around and yes I think the Japanese actually defended that short side really well it was a massive ploy I think the the um, Australian saw that they could have gone down that short side but you know I think Jordan Bataille moving forward and then having the likes of O'Connor and O'Connor and um, Cooper working in that double pivot um, pivot way I think it's going to possibly even open up their attacking prowess even more um, with having two decision makers and great communicators and understanding what the 10 and the 10 role can be in, in, in two in two players. There's a lot of exciting football to come through the rest of the month. Sunday mornings are booked out, Jipper. <laughs> um, there's nowhere else to be in front, of, in front of your television screen for the next month. Absolutely. I, I just think it's ex- like, if you, if you look at what we've had in the rugby championship and now the opportunity that we get to see these sides versus the Northern Hemisphere and that different style and, and what side can, I suppose, adjust and have the ability to play multiple um, attacking um, styles to manipulate that defence, but also have the defensive prowess to, I suppose, nullify the kicking game that they'll come up against. I, I, I find that stuff exciting. I, I really love the tactical sort of chess match that, that comes in these bigger test matches against these um nations that that are so fixated on their style that works so well for them that challenges the the southern hemisphere's attacking uh style so it's just yeah i'm up for it as you know ross i'm always up for footy hey everyone so we've got a couple of games scotland tonga and all blacks wales give us a couple of score lines would you um oh, i think scotland will yeah we'll go comfortably win that one um yeah It'll be a convincing win for for them, um, and then yeah, I think the All Blacks. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. I think there's gonna be moments in those games where Wales are really gonna test gonna test the All Blacks. But um, I just just think for the fact that they won't have the manpower um, against the All Blacks, um, you know, I'm probably gonna go All Blacks probably 14, 14 plus would probably be my guess. Yeah, look, I think it's gonna be a hard fought battle up front because you spoke about the players that are still available in that eight. But where the game will be, um, I suppose, decided is, is just, you know, we've spoken about how hard it is to select a 23 in around that midfield and back three. Um, I, I think that's where the difference will be and, and the All Blacks will get away with the victory. And, and I agree with Brennan in terms of Scotland and, um, you know, with MIQ spots in certain circumstances um, back here in New Zealand, it's actually been hard for Tonga to access all the players that they'd like. The ongoing problem, isn't it? <laughs> Forever going on and on like that. But it'll still be a good weekend of football. Really looking forward to it. Thanks again for joining us. James Parsons, Bryn Hall, Ross Carl on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Matewa. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 